Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Because there is a lot lacking, let's be honest, in each of our lives if we're going to be faithful to the Lord and fruitful for the Lord. But the Lord I've noticed, well, He's so gentle in dealing with me, and I'm sure He's that way with you as well. It's so wonderful. He deals with us one issue at a time, one struggle at a time. Today we have part two of A Rich Young Ruler, and we're taking up in Matthew 19, starting in verse 20. An interesting thought here, as Matthew was writing his gospel, and these verses in particular, what was he thinking? After all, he was rich, and he left it all behind to follow Jesus. Well, let's listen in as Pastor Sam wraps this study up. What do I still lack? And I was thinking that that would be a good question for us. What's that one thing, Lord, that well, if you wanted to change something in me today, if there's something hindering me moving on with you or growing up in you, being faithful and fruitful for you, and hey, what would that one thing be? Because he's going to tell the rich young ruler, here's what it is for you. And I'm certain that this might be it for some of us, but it's not going to be it for most of us. So the question is, what one thing, if anything, is hindering us, keeping us from experiencing all God's planned and purposed for us? He says, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, and know this, we're told in one of the other gospel accounts that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus wasn't frustrated with this guy or burdened by him. No, he looked at him with compassion, and he loved him, and he said, this one thing you lack. Now, I've thought long and hard about that particular statement of our Lord, and I'm pretty certain if I were to stand before the Lord and say, what do I lack? He'd get out a list, you know, he'd have a scroll, and he'd say, well, you don't, I don't have all day for you, Sam, but let's just go over page one, you see, because there is a lot lacking, let's be honest, in each of our lives if we're going to be faithful to the Lord and fruitful for the Lord. But the Lord I've noticed, well, he's so gentle in dealing with me, and I'm sure he's that way with you as well. It's so wonderful. He deals with us one issue at a time, one struggle at a time. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. That's how we learn. And, and it's applying those lines and those precepts. That's how we change. That's how we're transformed, by the renewing of our mind and by a commitment to obey. So this guy comes and says, whatever you want, I'm willing. What do you need, Lord? What can I do? I just want to be in the kingdom. I just want everlasting life. So Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, and don't misunderstand that word in verse 21, it means complete. If you want to fulfill the call on your life, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now he gives them three commands, and he makes one promise. He says, go sell all you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. The promise he sandwiches in is you will have treasure in heaven. And you got to know when the Lord asks you to give something up, 
He always blesses you way beyond whatever you might give up. He's going to make that so clear as he speaks in a moment in relationship to, well, what he wanted from this rich young ruler and what he was willing to do for him, what he was promising to him. But for us here today, you've got to know that the Lord wants more than, well, all our bad habits to be a part of the past and and bad attitudes to be a part of the past, those known sins to be put in the past. There are things that you and I engage in that are perfectly legal and lawful and moral and even in many ways acceptable. But the Lord could be saying to some today, I want you to forsake that. I want you to leave that behind. And if you're anything like me, you'd be like, well, Lord, there's really nothing wrong with that. I mean, every, lots of people do that, and it's not sin. I've read this book. and But see, if the Lord's requiring something of me, he's doing that because he has something for me. And that thing is hindering whatever it is he's wanting to do in or through me. And so today... Some of us are going to deal with big sin. I mean, God's going to be saying to you, forsake this sin. If you're a liar, if you're an adulterer, if you're a murderer, or if you hate or lust, or if you don't honor your parents, or hey, if you don't love your neighbor, you need to repent of that. That's big stuff. It's, it's right here in red, see? It's clear. But lots of us would say like this guy, hey, I'm okay in those areas. I, at least I think I'm okay in those areas. And, and I have repented of the dishonor I've shown or the dishonesty I've practiced. And I, I, Lord, what still do I lack? And he's going to say, hey, I want this. Or I want you to leave that. I want you to forsake this. Well, if you want to be complete, he's saying to him, if you want to fulfill the purpose for which you were created, Go sell what you have, give it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You know, the Bible warns us not to work to be rich. And some have misunderstood, and you know that the, that. Some say that money is the root of all kinds of evil, but that's not actually what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and sin. It isn't money itself. Lots of wealthy people in Scripture had a heart for God, walked with God, and were used by God. Abraham was a very wealthy man. His son Isaac inherited his wealth. Jacob, likewise, his grandson. And so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they were all wealthy. King David, incredibly wealthy. His son Solomon, one of the wisest and richest men that ever lived. And all of them showed, well, a heart for God and, and a walk with God. Now, they all sinned against God, but my point is this. Money isn't really the issue. It's where our heart is at towards money. And if we love earthly, temporal riches, well, Ecclesiastes says it like this, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance will not be satisfied with abundance. And I've noticed personally that if I'm Sensing a need for something, there is no amount of that that is enough. If you're a person that finds security in your finances, you will never get enough money to feel totally secure. Because if you put it in stock, it can lose value. And if you put it in real estate, well, something can happen there. And 
wherever you invest, it can lose money. And even when you don't invest, well, you put it in the bank and say, well, at least it's safe here. And then inflation eats it up. If your security is in temporal, financial, or physical things, well, you don't have any real security. And, and so the balance in all of this is, hey, listen, we're told to work and provide, not just for ourselves and our families, though the one who doesn't is, God says, is worse than an unbeliever, worse than an infidel. So we are to work and we are to provide. And we're to provide an excess so that we can help those who are in need around us. So we're to work and, and be faithful. Then we're to be compassionate and help those who are struggling. But in the midst of it, he says, don't work to be rich. Don't make that your goal. Don't set your heart on riches because they make themselves wings and fly away. Later, John will write, stop loving the world. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father. It's of the world and it's passing away. And his point is, all the stuff we look at and pursue and long for, he says, it's temporal and it won't last. Now, I know this isn't everybody's issue, but since it's what he's dealing with in the passage, we at least have to hit it head on. And then it's important that we take a little bit of quiet time sometime in this service to just say, Lord, that one thing, you know what it is. Maybe it's a doubtful habit or, or just an, an old pattern or maybe it's something you're engaging in. In any case, when this guy hears the word from the Lord, he goes away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, what if he'd been poor and, and the Lord had said, well, sell all you have, give it to the poorer, you know, you'll have treasure in heaven and follow me. He just said, you got it, Lord. Used to be, you know, VW, but it's been so long since I've seen that many of those. Have to upgrade to like Toyota or something. So, you know, you're driving your 15-year-old Toyota. You've got the, the, the bumper held on with bailing wire and duct tape. And, you know, you're jumping it every other time and because it only starts every other time. And, and the Lord comes and says, I want you to give that car away. And, you know, whatever you get for it or sell that car, whatever you get for it, give it to the poor. You're like, it's yours, Lord. I, I'd rather have a bicycle anyway but let's be honest if you got a brand new beamer or a lexus 430 or you know you're you're driving a jaguar and the lord says i want you to sell that car give the money to the jesus center and uh, you'll have treasure in heaven and you'll follow me oh, oh man well, but what will i drive now i mean this is this is an issue for me see lord well, it's not an issue for me. i got a nine-year-old Toyota, so I'm okay. And uh, I'm willing to give it up at any time. But the bottom line is this. If there's something and it's hindering, the Lord is so good to put his finger on it, you see. He's saying, your heart, man, it's got to change. It's got to change. And so let's let it go. Let's make a change. Well, the young man hearing this went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, Jesus says to his disciples, verse 23, Assuredly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not impossible, just difficult. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, some have tried to 
figure this out and they said well he couldn't have meant it literally a camel through an eye of a needle and someone suggested there was a gate in Jerusalem and it was just low enough that a camel got down on its knees it could crawl through and and the idea being it's a picture of humbling ourselves listen the problem with that is no such gate has ever been found it's just an idea that someone came up with as an illustration of humility what Jesus is saying is it's harder for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Well, it's not impossible again, you see. In fact, my buddy Gail Irwin suggested a possible way you could do it. He says what you've got to do is grind the camel up real small and then you can actually make it happen. But let's face it, that's not going to happen. And what Jesus is saying is it's not impossible for one with riches to be saved. No, there have been many rich saved. But, but, those were people that understood their riches were a stewardship. You know, we dedicated five children first service to the Lord this morning. And um, those kids, as we shared with those parents in the first service congregation, they are a stewardship. We don't own our kids. They are entrusted to us. They are given to us for a season to raise up, to train up, to teach, to be examples to. And what we do with them will have a big impact on, well, their lives and their families and their society, the one that, you know, we'll hand off to them. And so it is with everything in life. And if God gives you resources, well, you're a steward of those resources. So Jesus says... Hey, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Later, Paul will write, not many wise, not many noble, not many mighty, but some wise, some noble, some mighty. It's possible. It's just more difficult. Well, when the disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, who then can be saved? Now, their confusion is birthed out of the fact that they were raised in a culture that was steeped in the Old Testament covenant. The covenant God made with Israel and through Moses. We're studying that stuff right now on our Wednesday night study. And basically, it went like this. If you walk with me and obey me and you're faithful to me, then I'm going to bless you and, and I'm going to make sure that you lend but never borrow. And that your fields are abundant and, and that your crops grow and that your, your cattle or your sheep are, are healthy and that your families are vibrant. And God just prom promises to bless them, Israel, with every temporal blessing in earthly places. But when you get to the New Testament, you see, Jesus tells us, well, it's going to be a little bit different. Blessed are the poor, he'll say. And so... The disciples, they're living in a different mindset. They're thinking, look it, God rewards the righteous with physical stuff. Lands and children and money and assets. And, and then Paul will write of the new covenant. He says, our blessings, our treasures are in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. They're not temporal. They're not earthly. Though we get a share of those things. That's not really where it's at for us. Why? Because our, our, our blessings are in the eternals with the Lord. They're, they're in the heavenlies with the Lord. Well, in any case, these disciples, they're kind of confused because they're thinking, man, this guy's wealthy and, and, and all of these things he's got going for them, those are all the blessings of God. Now he's saying, well, wealthy are going to have a hard time entering the kingdom or few will make it or how can that be? Well, again... 
they ask, well, then who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. This might be the most important thing that Jesus says for some of you here today. He's saying salvation for men impossible. There's no work you can do. There's no witness you can give. There's no, there's no sacrifice you can make. You can't keep the law. If you could, that'd be great, but you don't. You fail, you sin. And so he's saying with men, salvation, it's an impossibility. You can't achieve it. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. But with God, all things are possible. And how can that be? Well, salvation is the gift of God. Saved by grace. That word grace means it's a gift. It's undeserved. It's unearned, unmerited. He gives us the gift of everlasting life. And he gives it to us in his son, Jesus. He who has the son has life. He who has not the son has not life. So when he says, what must I do that I may obtain eternal life. Really what it comes down to is know who he is. Hey, why do you call me good? Jesus says there's only one good God. You got to know who Jesus is. And then you got to know what Jesus has done. The scripture says he died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. He's ascended into heaven in his shed blood, his sacrifice for you and for me. Well, that obtains Entrance or gives us the potential for entrance into the kingdom of heaven But we need to confess our need for his forgiveness and we need to turn from our sin and trust in him So when the disciples say who can be saved? He says hey with men. It's impossible, but with God all things are possible now Peter's always thinking we've seen that with them and he immediately answers speaking for all of them and said to him see we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? And I don't think this is really Peter getting weird. I think this is Peter just genuinely saying, okay, you're saying you got to leave that and follow me to him. He's not willing. We have left all to follow you. What's going to happen to us? What's in it for us, Lord? Besides this relationship of walking with you, working miracles for you, seeing all you do, being provided for by you. He's saying, is there something else, you know? Is there more? And assuredly, Jesus goes on to say, in the regeneration, and note each of these statements, each of these phrases, exceedingly important. In the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus affirms there will be a resurrection in the regeneration. There in the resurrection... In the kingdom to come, he says, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, the same Jesus who was born of the Virgin Mary, and we're about to celebrate it in these next couple of weeks, that same Jesus who lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary sacrifice, rose again the third day, ascended into heaven, he's coming again to rule and reign on the earth. And he promises the guys here, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and Philip, and the rest, he says, you're going to sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Will Israel come back to the Lord? Jesus says they will. Revelation tells us they will. 
they will go through the great tribulation and multitudes will come to him in the midst of the great tribulation. God is going to use that season of suffering to bring them back. Where will we be? Well, if I understand things right, we're going to be front row seats in heaven watching the whole thing go down. But here he just says, you'll be there. I'll be ruling and reigning. You'll be ruling and reigning with me. You'll be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, what about us? We're not Israel. We're the church. What does God have planned for us? Note what he says in verse 29 and 30. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit everlasting life. But many who were first will be last and the last first. Note what he says. If we put anyone or anything before him, that's going to be that one thing that hinders us. Everyone, though, who leaves behind whatever he requires. Does God require all of us to leave our land or our families? No, but he does require some of us to do it. In fact, if everyone stayed where they got saved, no mission work would have ever occurred. You know, the disciples there in Jerusalem, they had been instructed to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. But you know, they didn't really go, did they? They hung out in Jerusalem. They loved hanging with each other. They worshiped together. They studied together. And then what happened? Great persecution came. And gradually, people began to disperse into all the world. God used persecution to accomplish what didn't happen just by their simple obedience. So, well, the Lord wants us to split up and go into all the world. And I'm convinced God's calling some of us to the mission field. And he's calling all of us to support the work of missions and the work of ministry. And he's calling all of us to serve him in some capacity. But, but here he's just saying, there's nothing you can give up that you won't gain more. Everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit everlasting life. Now, the gift of life is just that, a gift. But whatever God requires of us, hey, we've got to be willing to yield it, to give it. And so today, the question remains, what one thing is hindering you? If you're a believer in him, the question would be, is there anything? And if there's something, what is that thing that's keeping you from experiencing him in the fullest, from being the best possible representative of Jesus in your community and in, in, in your locality that, that you can be. What one thing is hindering? Because today the Lord would put his finger on it and say, let's deal with that issue. Let's put that behind us. Let's once and for all let that go. Let's make a change. Let's make a difference. If you're here and you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus... It's this simple. That one thing is your unbelief. And in a sense, it's important that you know every one of us have faith. It has been given to every man and woman a measure of faith. And so if you're trusting that, well, I think I'm a good enough person to get to heaven, God's saying, no, you're not. There are none good. No, not one. Well, I'm not a murderer. Yeah, but you must have hated. Well, I'm not an adulterer. Well, no, but you might have lusted. Well, 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 well. The, the bottom line is you're a sinner, just like us. 
Every person here a guilty sinner. And the truth is, most of us, we're not like the rich young ruler saying, well, I've never really had a problem in any of those areas. We're saying, Lord, I've struggled in so many areas. And today, if you would be honest with him and say, Lord, forgive me, I'm a guilty sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Hey, he will be merciful to you. And when he says, well, you're going to have to turn from that sin. You're going to have to turn from unbelief. You're going to have to turn to me and walk with me. And, and, and I'll transform you as you do. You're going to have to say, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm willing. I'm ready. I'm desiring that change. When we think of that one thing, or in some cases several things, that are standing in our way from living the life God has purposed for us, it's good to know what God requires of us. Now Micah 6.8 tells us this, where it says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? So do we know what God considers good? Well, it's here in his word. Do we know what God considers justice and what he means by kindness? It's here in his word. And do we know what it means to walk humbly with our God? Well, it's here in his word as well. You see, these things are not hidden from us. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.